0: turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. God, would you please continue to teach us your way? Would you please lead us in this um, important idea today about what it means and what we need to be transformed into the glory of, of Christ? We want to experience and enter in to the best life possible. So would you help us with that in Jesus' name? Amen. Um, last week, we started to explore spiritual transformation on Sundays. I was having a discussion with Paul Shaner up on my roof last night, and we were exploring the idea of salvation. What does it mean to be saved? And how you answer that question plays a major bearing on your idea of Christian growth and cr- Christian uh, transformation. For example, we talked about this last week a little bit. But if when you say "I got saved," and you hear a lot of Christians say that, it's kind of a it's a um, cultural word. Um, when did you get saved? I got saved. Jesus saved me. A lot of times, what that means is only. My sins were forgiven, and I'm now going to heaven when I die. That's what that means, although that's very important, but that's become only what we mean by that. And I want to tell you, although that is true, the gospel and the Bible has a much bigger definition of salvation and what that means. Jesus came, as we're going to find out, we're going to start Matthew in October. Jesus came, and he began saying repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and follow me. Follow me. Um, Meaning an apprenticeship type of an idea. He did not say um, mentally understand some doctrine, intellectually figure out the doctrine and the dogmas and all of those things of of the Bible, and, and then assent to that and agree with it. He said, no, come and follow me and watch me. And here's the premise, here's the idea, that there was something about Jesus, as we will see in Matthew, there was something about Jesus that drew people to his life. In other words, when people encountered Jesus Christ, they said, this is my own words, but something along the lines of, there's something about you, you're living the kind of life that every human was meant to live. There's a life force in you that is so strong that is so powerful, that's so brilliant, that's so beautiful, that's so uh, indestructible that sickness flees from it, that dead the dead are being raised again. The idea in the Gospels is not that Jesus was this magician that came and did these fun things to get your attention so that you'd listen to his intellectual words. That's not the idea. The, what you see in the Gospels is a person that's so Powerful, that so um, has so much moral weight and buoyancy, so healthy, so wholesome, that people look and say, "Okay, I, I get life by being around you. I want to know what it's like to live this kind of life." Or they hated him. They were so convicted. They were so, uh, um, you know brusseled up against by his life. The darkness in them was so exposed by his goodness that they had to hide and get away or shut him up. And that's the story of the gospel, that even when they tried to do that, his life was so strong that he came back. He, rode, he conquered death. That's the idea, that life force. And people would come around him and would say, what, what do I have to do? I want a taste of it. I want to enter into this good life that you are living, that you're talking about. And Jesus' answer was, follow me. Follow me. Watch me. Look at how I live life. So last week we talked about this kind of twin engine of our faith and our transformation. So, well, pause. Let me say this. So salvation then is a quality of life now that is inconquerable into eternity okay salvation is a qual- is coming into a quality of life the word is that's the the bible's the new testament synonym for salvation is zoe or life i've come to give life and give it abundantly that's the idea a quality a kind of life that would be breathing a higher atmosphere here, buoyant, can, can withstand the storms of life to the point where it can even withstand death. In other words, we follow in the way of Jesus. We become these people that people come to us and say, I don't know what it is in you, but I want to, you're living a bit of the life that I know I was meant to live. That's evangelism, okay? It's a it's a quality, it's a character, it's a transformed person that hits every human. Uh, James likened it last week, again, go listen to the sermon, to a mirror. When you look in the Bible, it's a mirror looking at the, that shows you the image of yourself or the perfect form of humanity, which is Jesus. That's who he's transforming us into. Every human wants that. Every human has certain universal aches of a good life. And there's a narrative in the culture of what the good life is. And then Jesus comes and says, no, this is the good life. Come follow me. Come watch me. Come listen to me. So we talked about last week these twin, the kind of twin engine of the spiritual life, which is hearing and practicing. Hearing and practicing. Hearing, and, and they self-inform one another. If you hear only, but you don't practice In other words, if you see the vision of Jesus in the Bible and you say, oh, that's so good, and then you walk out and you live the status quo, you live like you've always lived, you don't practice something, James would say you have spiritual amnesia. You've forgotten who you're supposed to be. You've forgotten this beautiful version of humanity that God is transforming you into. Okay? So we practice certain things and this is, we talked about how really basic to anything this is. This is not some, um, this should not be a foreign concept. We teach our children this, don't we? Our kids come to us and they say, what, what do they say? They, they, they dream and they say, Dad, I want to play the piano. I'm going to be a, a I'm going to play the piano. And we say, great, that's awesome. When they sit down and play that piano for the first, second, third, fourth, fifth time, is it great and is it Awesome. You guys, it's cool. We can say, we're, this is safe, safe place here. No. Some of us who've been practicing for a long time, it's still not awesome. Sometimes I hit those clams or what you know. But what do we say to our kids? Practice, it's a saying we have, makes perfect. It's a, this, is a, this is something that we all intuitively know in every other sphere of life, but somehow we have not applied it to our spiritual life. And the piano needs to be in tune. Very good point. (laughs) Excellent points, yes, yes. The piano needs to be in tune. Thank you for that. That's very true. So here's what I'm making up. Here's what I'm wanting to pawn off on you. When we go through the Gospels, when we look at Jesus, those are, that's like his highlight reel. He's feeding the 5,000. He's casting out evil. He's healing the sick. He's, and when we look at just his highlight reel, just like when you look at any sportsman's highlight reel or any incredible musician's highlight reel, what do you immediately, when you see them in their glory, playing the piano, this masterpiece on the piano, and if you're an aspiring musician and you see someone like that, typically what we do is we think, it's untouchable. And that's how we read the Gospels. We read Jesus feeding the 5,000, walking on water, and we go, okay, great, cool, but what do I do with that? It's impossible, right? What we don't take into account when we're listening to the pianist play or we're, or we're watching the athlete is the hours, the time devoted behind the scenes to go to bed at a certain time, wake up at a certain time, diet a certain way, devote The sacrifices to put away certain things. I asked Paul yesterday on my roof, what did you have to give up to become a master craftsman? He said, well, I had to learn to take, I had to learn to listen to my bosses and not mouth off back. I had to learn to be there on time. I had to practice and practice. He had to sacrifice time with his friends. I remember when I was, I wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to be a pastor since I was about 16 years old. And I went to a Bible college in California, and I came back for the summertime, and my youth pastor said, hey, the youth group's yours for the whole summer. You're going you're gonna to take over for this summer. And I also had a job at, I, I worked for the water company, the local water, I replaced fire hydrants, and I, um, repl- I, I fixed broken water mains under the earth i had to dig it up and all of those types of things i remember a summertime my friends called me this one day i'll never forget this my friend called me and said hey we're all working we're getting off and we're going to the lake now i've been going to the lake with these friends since we were just like kids our parents would take us and then we we started to drive and we would take ourselves we did this every summer then we got jobs, and we all would, it was like a tradition. So it's hot, I'm out there digging, my friend calls and says, we're doing this, man. We're going to, the, we'll pick you up. And I was like, yes. And I called my pastor, and he said, how's your sermon? And I said, oh, I haven't started it yet. I said, but I'm going to the lake. And he goes, those days are over, Mike. This is the word of God. And you are called to rightly divide it to the people you're giving it to. You cannot do that unless you put in the time. I'll never forget what he said. He said, the word of God never yields itself to laziness. You got to get in there and you got to put in the work. And the reason I don't, um, I'll never forget it is because I really wanted to go to that lake. My whole heart and being was set on that lake. But he reminded me the vision that I saw of myself in the mirror, so to speak. You want to be a pastor, right? Then you need to do, you need to practice, you need to give up certain things. This is very normal talk, right? So that leads us into this discussion today. Um, And let me just preface this by saying, you know, a lot of times we get this allergy when it comes to practice and works because we think, oh, you're, you're, you know, I don't want, I don't, we're we're saying we earn our salvation. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is a way to enter into your salvation and enjoy it now. Enjoy it now. Behind the highlight reel of Jesus, here's what I'm going to say to you. Behind the highlight reel of Jesus was a way of life, scaffolding, habits, um, sacrifices that he made, things that he did that the Bible tells us about. We don't have, it's actually right there. We don't have to make it up. Things that he did behind the scenes that gave him the power to show up in those highlight moments and do what he did. And a lot of times we as Christians, when we read the Gospels, we think, well, geez, you know, Jesus, you know, great, that's awesome. He walked on water, but, you know. But we miss the part that he's saying, this is what he means, follow me. In other words, watch what I do when I wake up in the morning. Watch how I pray. Watch how I engage a crowd. Watch when I disengage a crowd and go off and be by myself. Watch how I fast. Watch how I spend time in solitude. Watch how I go to my Father. Watch how I... I, Observe the Sabbath. Watch all these, these behind, this way of life, this mind and body, this way that I live my life and the rhythm that I live my life in that allows me to show up and say, oh, there's hungry people here. What do we got? Okay, let's bless it. And 5,000 people can end up getting fed. There was a, a way that undergirded that. And he was saying, we can enter into that kind of life He's God. I know there's a difference between him and us. I get that. And I'm not saying that we will uh, uh, necessarily do those things. But I think you'll, he's inviting us into the good life, into salvation now. I've come to give life and to give it abundantly now. That's what I want for our church. That's what I want for me. It's kind of a selfish deal because I'm thinking, I want that. I don't want to wait to heaven to start getting over my selfishness and my stuff and, and, you know, all of those. I want to enter into it now. I want to breathe that now. I want it now. So this brings us into the next part of our discussion, an important discussion regarding the nature of human beings, particularly the fact that we are embodied. We are embodied people. We have flesh. And we interact with the world through our bodies. So anything that we do to practice is going to be with these that God's given us. Let me read the scripture to you. This is 1 Corinthians 6. Um, And I'm going to start a little, uh, well, you guys have the full version there. But it says, um, food, uh, you say, this is a Corinthian saying, you say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Um, and there should be... And God, will destroy, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By His power, God raised the Lord bodily. He'll get into that in chapter 15 from the dead. And He will raise us bodily. That's the implication also. Do you not know that your bodies? Are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? Notice how many times he's saying that? For it is said the two shall become one flesh. But whoever is, is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins, you'll notice the word other is in italics because it's not in the original Greek. It should read, all sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Paul wants you to know something about your body today. Um, A few different things. One is, it was made for the Lord. You saw that in verse 13. Um, But it is infected with sin. Third, God's not done with your body. He's redeemed it. And fourthly, what we can use it for. First of all, your body was made for God. He says in verse 13, the body, that's the Greek word soma, is not meant for sexual immorality or porneia, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Um, like our passage in James last week, Paul knows that the, Corinthians, the Corinthian Christians still need to be saved from something in a sense. They're still being plagued by some old ways of coping, some old ways of thinking, Um, And part of what is stunting their transformation is a major misunderstanding about their body. The Greek world, heavily influenced by Plato, taught that material reality, including the body and its appetites, were temporal and therefore lower forms of life, and the higher forms of life were spiritual or eternal, and those had to do with your your reason and your mind— um, in fact, Plato, you know, we call it a platonic dualism, which means there's a, a dichotomy or a, a dual, there's dual realities. Plato talked about your mind and your reason being in your flesh like an eagle is caged. You're supposed to be able to fly, you're supposed to be able to, but your body, your flesh, your bad material appetites are caging your spirit. So it. It immediately became, and you can understand, we we kind of do this now, where we think, okay, therefore, the body is bad. The body is bad. It's holding me back from doing what I was meant to do. Everything spiritual, for Plato, reason, um, that's the higher function of what it means to be man But my bodily appetites, the more I can submit them to that, to to my reason and bring them into alignment, the more free I'm going to be. But the Corinthians took this a different route. They were saying that actually because our bodies um, are just lower forms of life and they're temporal, they therefore do not matter. That's what this saying is all about. You'll notice, can we put verse 13 up there again, Isaiah? You'll notice that there's quotes around this. You say food for the stomach and stomach for the food and God will destroy them both. This was a Corinthian saying. In other words, and if you back up to verse 12, you'll see that Paul is quoting a lot of Corinthian sayings and then he's refuting it. He's saying, basically like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. That's the same format that Paul is using here. He's saying, you guys say this, but this is what I say. Look what they think about the the body. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. In other words, that they don't matter. My bodily appetites, it doesn't matter how I indulge with them. I can eat, I can gourd myself you know, um, they, they were Epicureans in Corinth, and Corinth, where they would eat, 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 and gorge themselves, and then they would throw up, so they could come back and eat, 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 eat some more, because they were just all about pleasure, and they thought the Christians were saying this doesn't matter. This had leaked into the Christian church. They would so they would, they were eating and they were their sexual. They were looking at sexuality in the same way. Sex is just a bodily function. I have an urge for food, I have an urge for sex. So I eat, and I pay a prostitute to have sex. It's not a big deal, because the Lord's gonna destroy them both. That's all it is. This is what Paul is refuting here, and he's saying, okay, part of what's stunting your growth here, Corinth, is that you're misunderstanding the body. Look what he says, the body is for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. First of all, let me, let's ask, what is the body according to the Bible? We've looked at Greek thought. How does the Bible think, think of the body? Well, first of all, you need to know that in the Bible, there's not a clear-cut distinction. This is what's going to challenge our way of thinking a little bit and the Greek way of thinking. In the Bible, there's not a clear-cut distinction between your body and yourself. Okay? Okay. They are distinct and yet linked at the same time, okay? Um, instead of it, so you could say instead of it being a, dual, a dualism, which is a philosophy that says there's body and then there's spirit, that's Plato, okay? Instead of that, you could say there's a, there is a, um, a duality, meaning that there are two distinct uh, parts, but they are it's hard to see the difference between they bleed into each other. Um, They are distinct but interwoven realities. In a real sense, according to the Bible, you are your body. Your body is you. you. Your body is how you project yourself in reality. Okay? Are you with me? Your body is how you project self they're linked together in reality, okay? Um, in a very real sense, you are your body. This is, this is uh, Ephesians 5.28. This is Paul sp- speaking about marriage. Listen to this. He says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies, soma. Now, look, he who loves his wife loves himself. See? He's, they're almost synonyms. I'll read it again. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, psyche. That's the soul or self, a sense of who you are. So please, when we're just defining our terms here, don't think of a body as separate from who you are, like you are in there somehow and your body is separate from that and when you die, your, your soul will, will rise to heaven. No, we will be embodied in heaven. So, in other words, the Bible is saying that bodies was God's idea. In other words, before sin, God created us embodied, and he created our bodies intentionally for the purpose of interacting with God. Here's my point. You need your body to worship. You need your body to be transformed. You need your body to engage with the divine. Do you, do, do you know that? Everything, um, name some things that we do with our bodies. What do we do? Work. Okay, work. Sleep. Sleep. Play. Play. Eat. Eat. Preach. What would you say? Transport. Transport, you go, yeah, right. You walk or you drive or, or whatever. Yep. anything else? Dance? Fight. Fight. Let me just, someone could throw out the word here? Everything. We do everything in our bodies, and God designed it that way. We worship with our bodies. Right? When you're out on a hike and you see the glory of creation, what you're using God created your eyes to connect with His creation, to take it in. When you are embracing your husband or your wife or a good friend and you're looking into their eyes and you feel this connection, you're doing that through your body. When you hear transporting music that takes you to another atmosphere and you just are in this place of being overwhelmed by the Spirit, You did that through your body. Jesus lived the most perfect, incredible human life that's possible, and he did everything. Everything in a body. Therefore, as Christians, when we're talking about what it means to practice the way of Jesus, you need to understand the sacredness of your body. That everything you do is with your body. It's very practical. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, the danger here is that you all have divorced spirituality from your body. And it's creating some major problems. You're now justifying yourself to do some um, very harmful activities, some very risky activities, because you think it doesn't, your body doesn't matter. He's saying, oh, does it matter? Everything you do is with your body. Later, he says, every sin that you, that ha, that you, that you partake of, every sin, um, it, it should not say other there. That's a translation mistake. Every sin is done without the body or done from the body, is brought into reality or avatared from your heart, but manifested through your body. Yes, you in the back. I see that hand. Other sin. What was that one again? The word "other" should not be there because it's not in the original transcripts. So that creates that confusion with it's that it's super con, it's super confusing. If you just read it, that's why I want to point that out. It, it's isn't it so confusing? If the other is in there, every other sin um, that's committed is done outside the body. But sexu- then he contrasts it. But sexual immorality is done against the body. You guys. Does that make any sense? Please say no. Because the translators didn't know what to do with that. They didn't know how to, so they put the, but, where they saw the contrasting statement. So they just assumed, and in most of your translation, it'll be in italics, it'll have a star by it, and it will say in your thing, this is not in the original manuscripts. Because they're assuming, okay, what else must he mean? He's, he's trying to highlight the badness of sexual sin. And he is, to a certain extent. But it's much bigger than that. He's saying all sin is done through the body into reality, but sexual sin unifies your body, yourself, with something else. And it's so sacred. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but why not? It's so sacred because how did Jesus redeem you? How did Jesus make his spirit connected to you? With his what? Body. He united himself to you and I. By giving his body. And that unites us. That's why in the next chapter, in chapter 7, he talks about the ultimate expression of sexuality and sexual love within a marriage is self-giving, is a mutual self-giving of your bodies. That's why marriage is so important because it mirrors the relationship of Jesus and the church. He gave his body, literally, he gave his body to be grafted to you and I so that we could become one with him. Think of the intimacy of this. God didn't just want you uh, on his team or even just want you redeemed. Redeemed for him is to be infused with him. He wanted to be so close to you that, that he wanted to be one with you. It's a very intimate metaphor. That's why the, the conversation naturally goes in the next chapter into marriage. Marriage is, and, and the, the, the marriage bed is so pure and so incredible and so wonderful because it means I'm mutually giving my body to you and you're giving your body to me so that we can be one. That's how close I want to be with you. And that's why he's saying sexuality here, when you unite yourself to a prostitute, When you give your body to your temple to a... You are uniting the members of Christ to to an unclean way of life. It's very serious. So he's saying, on the contrary, your body means everything. Everything. And he goes on to say, it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's where God dwells. He says, you're members of Christ. These believers were being lured by sexual immorality. So even though the body is good in and of itself, it has been infected by sin. There's a war within, and this is where our worship becomes extremely practical. Sin, and Paul gets this across by talking about, by using another word that he really kind of puts his own twist on, and that's the word flesh, um, it's the word sarx in, in the Greek. And it, it, Paul uses it to mean the parts of the body or the inclinations of the self. Remember, when I'm talking about body, I'm talking about that is something that's very in line with your... It, it's who you see yourself to be. He's saying the parts of the body that are um, that are out of order, that are not under the submission of God, they are... Sark's flesh. And the flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. So, unspiritual, let's just define some terms here. Unspiritual to Paul is defined as anything found without regard to its place in the spiritual rule of God through his creation. Let me read that again. Unspiritual is defined as anything found without regard to its right place in the spiritual rule of God through his creation. I, yes, to Paul, the flesh represents the active powers in you that are not submitted to God. Um, flesh is an, so to Paul, flesh is an active power in you. It doesn't mean, it uh, doesn't just mean meat. It means an active power in you that is not submitted to God. And where does that reside? Where does this active power in your body in other words, there are things in you that are in the muscle memory of, of of your body that still want to cope when you're dealing with difficult emotions. And this yes. I getting my And I got mad at the a little bit, so I Uh-huh. Absolutely, yeah, I get it, yeah, we, this is, yeah, good for you. This is the life, you know, what you described there, Kristen, is the life in some respects that we all live. There are certain things that the body wants to do in the muscle memory of it that we get to retrain by what, how we practice the way of Jesus, this is what he means. So, let me show you what he means. He says, thirdly, glorify God in your body. The word for glorify there is doxa, and it's a prioritizing word. In other words, show that God is most important by how you treat your body. What does that refer to? Everything. Everything. Everything, Because you do everything in your body. You do everything in your body. So he's saying glorify God in your body. Um, and the way you do that is by or prioritizing your life, yourself, your body, around the fact that God is of the ultimate, he's the most important. And that takes practice, doesn't it? It means we wake up in the morning and we give our first fruits to God. It means we fill our minds with truth to combat the other narratives that we find just by walking out the door. It means that we pray. It might mean that we sacrifice certain things. In fact, no doubt, it does. In the passage, uh, you might ask how. um, Excuse me, not in this passage. Jesus said, or uh, Paul says elsewhere in Romans, he says, you know, it's this famous passage in Romans chapter 12. He says, Be not transformed uh, or conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, giving your body as a living sacrifice to God. Right? Your body as a sacrifice to God. In other words, we're following, following in the way of Jesus here. To redeem, he had to sacrifice his body. You remember... Um, famous story in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is there praying, and he is stressed out. He is depressed unto death. He knows what's about to happen. And remember, he pulls Peter, James, and John apart. He takes them kind of into the garden with them, and he says to them, watch and pray. So he goes in, and he falls. And and the only reason we know that's what he did is because they were there. They're recording what he did. They could hear him travailing with God. He falls on his face. He says, oh, God, let this cup pass from me. He's wrestling with this fight-or-flight tendency in the muscle memory of his body. He knows what's about to happen, not just physically, but also on a spiritual level. He's about to take the sin of the world on himself. And he's wrestling. If there's any other way, let it be. Nevertheless, he's, he's prioritizing. Nevertheless, not what I will, but yours be done. He's he's putting it into priority. You are first. And what happens? He goes back, and Peter, James, and John. What are they doing? He's on the like spiritual fight for his life. When you need a friend, they are sleeping. And he says this super profound thing. You know what he says? He says, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Therefore, watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. In other words, practice. This is a practice to help you where you're weak. I was reading, um, I don't follow baseball anymore, I hope we can still be friends. But I was reading an interview with this guy who's, and I don't remember his name, but I was reading it. It's one of those things I need a break, and I flipped to the news, and oh. Um, and I'm reading this interview with this guy who is this incredibly well-rounded baseball player, and they asked him, what, how do you know what to practice? And he said, oh, I, I know what to practice the most, the areas that I'm weakest at. And the areas that I'm weakest at. That's how I decide what to practice. I don't practice batting because I hit home runs all the time. I practice fielding because sometimes I make errors. So I practice over and over and over and over and over again. Or I'm sure he practiced batting, but he spends extra time on the things that he's weak. Jesus is saying basically the same thing. Hey, your spirit is willing, your flesh is weak. Therefore, apply these practices to this part of your flesh so that you don't enter into temptation. So that you you can... um, pass the test that your character will grow. This is the cruciform death and resurrection that Jesus is talking about. He said, if anybody wants to follow me, let him deny himself. Again, that is psyche and body. You, you can't Biblically, you can't really separate the two. Deny yourself. In other words, bring your body into alignment with the new you that I've put inside you, bring it into alignment so that it can grow and it can, you you will change. The The body affects the spirit and the spirit affects the body. So we align the flesh with the spirit within. And this is where practicing a certain life comes into play. So here's what I'm trying to get at. It's not that we sit here and we say, Oh, you should read your Bible, or you should pray, or you should, 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 should. Right? That's not the idea. That's not the context that Jesus spoke. He he was saying, You get to do this to enter in, to enjoy the salvation that you already have. Now, this is how you tap into it. Through what? Your body. You pray in your body. Prayer is not a disembodied experience. According to the Bible, heaven is not a disembodied experience. He's not ashamed of your body. So, the first thing we can do this morning, practically, and I think every day, how can you bless your body? How can you say, Thank you, God, for giving me this? Thank you, God, that I can see the people that I love. Thank you, God, that I can feel the wind on my skin. Thank you, God, that I can hear the music that we're worshiping you to. And it's connected with my soul and my heart in this beautiful, interwoven, mysterious way. Can we be more? I think in the, in the West, we kind of have a Greek or Platonic idea of the body, that spirit, the Christianity is about spiritual stuff, and the body doesn't really matter. I hear people say when it comes to the earth or material things, oh, it's all going to burn anyway. I remember Nicole and I were visiting some friends in Paris, actually, where uh, the Hislops just came back from Paris. And we were there, and we were going through, and, we, and they were missionary friends. And Nicole and I were like, oh, look how beautiful that building is. And the, I, the missionary, who we didn't know very well, the missionary was like, you know, it's all going to burn. We we're like, and we kept going, we'd look out the other window, and we're like, oh, they carved that in the side of a mountain? So cool, how'd they do that? You know, it's all gonna burn. And I remember this happened, like every time we would just be amazed at anything, the guy would felt compelled to remind us, to kind of put us in our place. Don't, like, I think he felt like we might have been worshiping that stuff. Like, don't be amazed at anything, because it's all gonna burn. And finally, I, I turned to him in the car, and was like, You keep on saying that you keep on as if the man-made things around here doesn't don't speak of the glory of God they do they do they do speak of the glory of God even if they're not made for God sure I get their sin involved but look at what look what God created that we can for us to do I am glorifying God well sometimes we look at our bodies the same way oh it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if I just let my flesh, the, the um, habits that are in muscle memory to just kind of take over, to go to bed whenever I want, to sleep in, to eat whatever and whenever I want, to you know use my sexuality in ways that hurt others and hurt myself, all of those types of things. We think, oh, I think Paul is saying, no, 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 your body is the key to engage with the divine. It is the key. Like, this is next-level stuff, you guys. This is Christianity 103 or so. It's, it's. We're, we're, I'm, I'm sharing with you, this is the stuff here that can take us to this place of connecting with Jesus more every day through our bodies. How can you do that with your mind? Hold on one second. You can engage your mind in everything that you do. Like, isn't it amazing that Jesus said, this is how I want you to remember me, by eating something. I'm tasting the salt, the texture. I'm enjoying it. Well, I'm not, well truthfully, I'm not. It's not salty enough. But you know what I'm saying. Eat in the embodied in remembrance of me. Can we also commune with each other and know that God is present when we do. Where two or more are gathered in his name, home fellowship, times at your house, times meeting with others, Christian or not, you look into a face of another human, you're seeing a Mago Dei. Can you bring your mind into that awareness? It changes everything. Yeah, Paul. Sorry. Just, it's, it's all good, I love it. probably gonna say something like this, but the third aspect of that, that platonic thing you were talking about, yes. Yes. When we stack on top of that, in our society, we've talked about this from time to time, we, well, we have the cult of youth, right? Mm-hmm. Everything perfect, you know, athletes and football players. Mm-hmm. Like in the third person? referred to their person as she. Hmm. And for myself, I was asked by a friend, are you mean to, to him, to your body? And I thought, I am so mean. And we would play softball, and I would have injuries. I'm just, oh, there's injuries and this and that. Right. My body is letting me down. Right. He has let me down. Hmm. How? Jesus doesn't say that. Yeah. Let me ask you, how has your body blessed you? In every way. Give me something specific. The pleasure, even the pain. Mm. The mm-hmm, yeah. He's given you hands to build, tear apart a, ro- a hole in a roof and put something else onto it. Yeah, Your wife is... Touching your shoulder right now, touching you. Thank you, God, for nerves that can feel affection. What else? What are some of the good things your bodies have done? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because can you say thank you, God, that you've given me legs to move, to get to get me to places. What's that? I'm so sorry. I didn't. You, you bring. Br- Oh, your brain thinks. Thank you. I thought you said bring things. Yes, your brain. Absolutely. Yep, your brain can process what you're feeling through your body. Absolutely. What else has your body done for you that's good? Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. taste good things. Absolutely. Okay, Uh, here's what I'm waiting to hear. Moms, mothers, what does your body is incredible. Right? Okay. You can incubate a life. Your body knows how to give birth. I remember when Nicole, it was like her body just took over. Her body just knew what to do. It's just amazing. Right? Your bodies can give warmth and nourishment to another human. Strength in our muscles. Our hands can... Put, I mean, just think of, our hand, think of your teeth. The other day I was in the car and I looked in the mirror and I saw teeth and I thought to myself, it's incredible that God gave bones to people sticking out of their mouths so that we can rip something apart and chew it and eat it. That's incredible. If you just sit there and think about it for a second, it's incredible. Our bodies... So we are temples of the Holy Spirit, and how do we do this? We give our bodies back to Him. It goes back to this um, marriage idea. Jesus gave His body for us. The only act, the, on, the only response, is to give our bodies in response to Him. Does that mean we're in marriage with Jesus? He initiated by giving His body as an act of sacrifice to us. We then give our bodies as a a mutual response to that in everything that we do, in every word that we say. And how do we do that? Well, look, you guys, it takes practice. It takes practice and specific practices that we're going to see in the life of Jesus as we study his biography, as we look at his life in the book of Matthew. We'll see the practices that he did that undergird this incredible life that gave him so much power and joy and this easy yoke that he talks about. Um, On the 24th, um, Jason Sanchez from Mexico will be here and I've asked him to speak on Matthew 11 and the easy yoke. And he's gonna talk all about what did it mean that Jesus had this easy yoke and he said, come and learn from me. that's disciple. Come learn from me. If you want this easy yoke that you see, if you see this life in me that's full of rest and beauty and joy and strength and endurance and all of these things, come take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. I'm gentle. Learn from me. That's the invitation to the world. Learn from me. You like what you see in the mirror of Scripture? When you look at the life of Jesus, you can have it too as you learn certain things and as we practice certain things. And one of the things that Jesus practiced was solitude and also community, being together. And we've got to have that same thing. That's why our home groups are so important, not just to meet on Sunday mornings, as good as that is, but to meet with folks and flesh these ideas out, do life together, talk about it together, Um, ask each other, how are we going to practice this this week? Okay, we're seeing this practice in the life of Jesus. How are we going to do it? How are we going to practice it? And then you come back the next week and we ask, how did it go? Okay, well, I tried this. This worked. This didn't. I think I'm going to try this. Here's what I noticed in my spirit as I prayed in this particular way or as, as I fasted this week or as I did this. Or Here's what I noticed. And you just talk about it and you help each other out. We've got to do it together. So please. Shameless plug for our home groups. We'll have more information next week. But get involved in a home group. Um, Practice with each other. Sundays just won't do it. It just won't do it. We need multiple check-in points, multiple phone calls. um, Those things to gird us up and to grow. Lord, I pray that you would Show us the importance of our bodies as temples of your spirit. I confess that I've used my body in ways that don't glorify you, that are meant to glorify myself. And I've forgotten that my body is yours, that we were bought with a price that you bought us with your own body, with your own torn uh, body and, and bloods poured out. Would you touch us to such a deep level with that knowledge, with that romance, with that incredible picture that we, like a willing participant in a marriage relationship, would want to give our bodies back? In all that we do and say, would you keep teaching us about your way